chapter 4. We're going to continue looking at these parables that Jesus taught and then Jesus in the storm. All right. Y'all all right this morning? Okay, then. Let's throw that first picture up there. Check this out right here. All right, that's me on the right. That was 15 pounds less ago. Two summers ago, I got it in my head that I was going to start running. I don't know why. I think it was like a macho thing because a friend said he was running. So in June, I ran six miles. Cumulative. Cumulative for June. Six miles. Not at one time because that would have killed somebody. Then in July, I got crazy. Went insane and ran nine miles. And then my buddy says, this Mark over there on the, I guess on your left-hand side, he said, you know, we should enter this half marathon. Montgomery half marathon. I said, that is stupid. He said, let's do it. So we had eight weeks to get ready. So I went from like six miles cumulative to ending up the month before the marathon doing like 78 miles. Now, those of you who are runners, y'all are like, that's ridiculous. All right, you know, I eat 78 miles. I run 78 miles in one week. It's nothing. That was cumulative. I was excited. So we ran and we finished this half marathon. And then pretty much after that, I about quit running because, you know, I've got a car. There's no reason... There's no reason to run. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not built for running. If you look at me, nobody looks at Paul Evans and goes, now there goes a runner. Now they'll call me to lift things and to destroy things, but that's about it. But fortunately, I've got some support. It turns out that I want to share with you and reveal to you this morning, I'm going to take away the mystery of how I gained these 15 pounds. Because some of y'all want to know how to reach that goal. How are you able to do that? Well, look at this next scene here. It says, Bacon taken off list of performance-enhancing drugs thanks Olympic Committee. So I then committed myself to bacon eating. I was out in San Francisco, and they've got the Bacon Bacon Kitchen. How many of you have ever eaten at the Bacon Bacon Kitchen? Just me. They had the bacon bacon truck that went to different places in San Francisco, but somehow it caught on fire and burnt down. That's, it's, hard, it's hard to believe if you've cooked bacon before, it's just amazing that that would even catch fire. Well, then I, I really concentrate because once I got there, they had a huge mound of bacon right there in the bacon bacon kitchen. And I, I said, home, are you hiring? I wanted to figure out if they were hiring here. So then you know how you've always heard that there's no I in team? Guess what? There's no we in bacon. There's no way. If I'm cooking some bacon at, house, at the house, I don't cook like two pieces of bacon. What's, that's crazy. We've got to cook a package, and that package is for, it's for me. There's no we in bacon. So I'll eat all of that. That's how I've gained all of this weight. And then one more bacon slide here. This is super important. Yes, this is a cinnamon roll wrapped in bacon with bacon on top. I made this at my house. Some of you who are my Facebook friends have seen this. This is a filet mignon bacon cinnamon roll. And this reveals to you how I was able to go from a lean 170 to my somewhat thickish 185. And if any of y'all want to repeat this, I guarantee you, you eat what I just showed you, it can happen for you as well. So it's no great mystery, right? Well, Jesus, in these scenes that we're about to see, is really revealing a mystery. 
He's, he's uncovering our eyes for what the kingdom is all about and what it really means to, to have life. And not like when we say, oh, well, that's life. But instead to say, that's life. That's what really being alive is like. So let's look here in Mark chapter 4, and we'll pick up where we left off last week, starting verse 21. It says, He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has been given more, whoever does not have, uh, whoever has it will be given more. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts. And it grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel of its head. And soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Then the parable of the mustard seed, he again said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. And yet, when it's planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. With such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in the shade. And with similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything with them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. Before we get to the storm, let's talk about these stories. He begins by saying that it's like a lamp. That when you've got something that you want illuminated, that you don't hide it. You don't cover up your flashlight when you turn it on. You don't turn on the lights and then immediately shut them off. You want to be able to see clearly. And Jesus is saying, when I came, I came as the light of the world. Don't try to cover me up. Don't try to hide me. Don't slip me under a bowl or under the bed. You know, sometimes as believers, we know that we've got this light within us, but sometimes we're cautious and we're afraid. And, and maybe here, you know, we'll come in and we'll sing super bold. It is well with my soul. But when we get to work, we kind of take that light and kind of slip it under the bowl a little bit. We keep it, keep it hidden. And Jesus said, I've come that you may have life. And life means that we're going to live it out in the open. That we're going to be clear with that. It's going to be obvious. It's not going to be hidden. It's not going to be undercover. Jesus didn't call us to some sort of like CIA Christianity. where we're undercover. Instead, he's called us to live out loud for him. To live boldly for him. He says, so it's a, it's a lamp. Secondly, he says, it's a measure. Or you may also write down, it's a scale. He said, listen carefully. In other words, I want you to weigh what you're hearing. You don't simply hear the parables and walk out. Now, what we do in the church today is that we want to make sure nobody's confused. We don't want anybody leaving with any questions. We want every message to kind of be tied up pretty neat so that when you guys walk out, you get to discuss it because you understood what was being taught. Jesus told parables so that people would have to go and, and think. They had to go and figure it out. And he doesn't seem to be real concerned if they came to the right conclusion or not. He wanted them to consider carefully what they heard. 
Why? So that they would then go out and live it. That's why he said, with whatever measure you use, understand it's going to be measured against you as well. When we hear the word, as James says, and we don't go out and do the word, we're really not living for the Lord. But instead, we hear it, we measure it, and then we take it out. And when we take it out, we make sure that we're measuring it the same for everybody. Then I don't treat one person stronger with the word, another person lesser with the word, just because I like them. You know, it's not that I forgive one person because I'm close to them and don't forgive someone else because I'm not as close to them. And I don't gossip more about somebody I don't like than somebody I do like because we're not supposed to gossip at all. He says, be careful as you listen and weigh the words. So when you're out there living life, you can really say, wow, that's, that's life. That's living when we take the word and we're out there actually living it day to day. And then third, he talks about seed. First, he talks about the growing seed that you plant. And regardless if you pay attention to it or not, it's going to grow. Once we put it, put it in the ground, it's going to grow. I think that's another reason he says be careful. Because whatever we plant is going to end up growing. If we're planting bitterness and hatred, guess what's going to grow in our life? We're planning love, joy, and peace. Guess what's going to grow in our life? Earl Nightingale, in his 1956 recording of The Strangest Secret in the World, he says that the soil does not care what you plant. You can plant corn, or you can plant nightshade, a deadly poison. And it will reap in abundance the corn, or it will reap in abundance the poison. Because the soil does not care what you plant. It will produce what you plant. But it doesn't care what you plant. Our lives will produce what we plant. So Jesus says, be careful. Listen, when you're planting those seeds, understand that it's going to grow. The things that we think, well, it doesn't matter that I said that to him or her. It doesn't matter my actions because, you know what, my life didn't make that big of an impact. It does has a real impact. All of our lives do. And so it grows and it produces a harvest. And then he talks about the mustard seed. And it's very small, but it ends up being a a great tree. Now, it's not a sequoia, but he says it's a plant. That's the difference. It's not simply a tree. It's more like a bush. And it's the biggest in the garden. So from very small things come very great things. And most likely he was talking about his own disciples that were a very small crew. Here we are today. You know, pretty big growth, right? Pretty big reproduction of the seed over time. But I believe the same thing is true in our life. It's no mystery. Zig Ziglar said years ago about losing weight. He said, don't try to lose all that weight at one time. He said, I didn't gain this weight in one weekend. It was one more bite that did me in. You know, we've got one more bite that we need to keep taking, one more thing that we need to keep doing, one more action, and understand that it's got to be intentional so that the impact is made. And this next section, what Jesus really does is he takes those parables, those stories, and he really lives them out in the middle of this storm. So let's start in verse 35. It says, that day, and remember this day also included the parable of the soils. So he told the parable of the soils, he talked about the lampstand, the the measure, the growing seed, and the mustard seed. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. 
Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. You remember at the beginning of the last lesson that he, the crowd was so thick and pressed against him that he got in the boat? He's been in the boat, it seems like, all day long. They didn't go back to shore. They start to go across the sea. There were also other boats with him, so there's a crowd of boats. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that they were nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care that we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So your first blank there under the storm is the surge. And the surge is not just the storm. The surge is also these believers because they're afraid. And Jesus is about to be revealed. Now, he's been revealed in his teaching. He's been revealed in some acts. But the light is about to shine in this boat. It's about to come alive and be revealed just how powerful Jesus is. And maybe, maybe for the first time, as we'll see here in a few minutes, maybe for the first time, they figure out who Jesus is. So it's pretty cool. But there's a surge of the storm, but there's also a surge of them emotionally because they get scared. They're freaked out. The boats are starting to get swamped. It's not necessarily that there's a rainstorm, but there's huge waves and it's coming into the boat and they're trying to just get it out and get it out and get it out. And meanwhile, Jesus is what? He's sleeping. He's on a cushion. He's comfortable. And I wonder what they're thinking. Somebody's got to wake him up. I'm not waking him up. Dude is tired. He's been teaching all day long. You wake him up. I'm not waking him up. Well, doesn't he care if we die? Why does he care if the ship goes down? He'll just walk away. It won't be any big deal. You know, they're going through all kinds of scenarios in their mind of if they're going to wake him up or not. And listen, why is he even asleep? Is it possible to sleep during the storm? How many of you are not weather people and you sleep during the storms? Lots of hands. When Opal came through in the 90s, we slept through Opal. And it was like winds in town were close to 90, right? 90 miles an hour. We slept through Opal. We got up and our pine tree, giant pine tree, had suddenly decided it wanted to live at the neighbors. And so it's over. And we're like, wow, huge damage all up and down the street. But we were asleep. How many of you sleep with a snorer? All right. Now, some of y'all don't sleep through that, but others of you do. It's like a storm up in there if you're sleeping with a snorer. Jesus is asleep. It's not any big deal. Sometimes we like to say, he was just so peaceful. and He just knew that he could just calm the storm. I think he's just worn out and he's sleeping. He's exhausted. And they go and the storm is surging and they wake him up and they say, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Don't you care? Don't you think he cares? And he's in the boat. It's not his time. Have you ever had somebody that's a bad driver and you go, are you trying to kill us? Obviously not. I'm in the vehicle with you. I don't want to die alongside you. I'm not trying to kill you. Jesus does care whether or not the boat goes down, but they have to activate themselves and be willing to cry out. 
How many times are we not willing to cry out? And we wonder why God's asleep. And we wonder why he's not stepped in. And we wonder why he's not doing something. But often we won't really cry out. We like to just complain. Lord, why don't, I don't know why he's doing anything. I know why he's not acting. I know why he's not waking up. Instead to cry out and say, Lord, don't you care? He's not intimidated by that, guys. He's not intimidated when we wake him up or whatever and say, don't you care about me? Don't you care about my situation? Don't you care about what's happening right now? And they wake him up and say, don't you care? And then 39 and 40 are the rebukes. And he does a couple of rebukes. He rebukes the storm and then he rebukes his people. So he got up, he rebuked the wind, and then he said to the waves. Always like that interesting terminology. He rebukes the wind and he says to the waves, be quiet, be still. Just a handful of words. Super simple. And what's revealed is in this light and what's revealed here in this seed is it's very small. Jesus didn't have to go on and on and on. He uses just some very small words, some very simple words to create a very massive result. It says that immediately the wind died down and it was completely calm. So who Jesus is, the light of the world, the one who says, listen carefully, the one who plants something very small, but something large comes from it. He displays that right here in the middle of the storm and in this boat. And what's interesting is the reaction of his believers. Is they're, they're scared. And Jesus says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Not why were you so afraid? He says, why are you so afraid? The storms stopped. The wind's gone. The swells have been stilled. And Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? In other words, in the middle of what you just saw, why aren't your eyes open up to see who I really am? How many of us have had the storm stilled? At some point in our life. Maybe we prayed for forgiveness or for mercy or intercession. And we had the peace. Raise your hand if you've ever felt the peace of the Lord before. Alright, just about everybody. Now then, alright. So we got lots of people who said they felt the peace. How many of y'all, the next time something happened, you got upset about it? You didn't feel peaceful? Raise your hand on that. Wow, it's, this is weird now. A lot of the same exact hands. Why are you so Afraid. Hadn't he already done something? Hasn't he already stilled something? Hasn't he already revealed who he is? It's weird how last time doesn't seem to impact this time. How while he was faithful back then, for some reason, I don't think he's going to be faithful now. Jesus says, why are you so afraid? So he he rebukes them. Verse 41 says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. When it says terrified, 
there in the Greek, it really means that they were afraid upon being afraid. In other words, they were twice as scared after the storm than before the storm, which seems kind of weird, right? I mean, they're twice as scared. Why is that? And this is not going to be on the screens, but if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. We'll start in verse 23. Others went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord and his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths in their peril. And their courage melted away. Does this sound familiar? They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits end. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm. And he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Most likely these guys have been raised singing those songs. The Psalms. It was their hymnal. It's what they knew. Just like most of us could sing Amazing Grace right right off the bat. Probably a lot of them could sing Psalm 107 right off the bat. And in the moment that Jesus calmed the storm, there's a realization that we're not just with a teacher in this boat. We're not even with somebody great in this boat. We're actually in the boat with God. We're actually in the boat with the Lord. We're actually in the boat with the guy that created the very sea that got out of control. And that was the reason that he was able to steal it. And we're in the boat with the song that we sang all of our lives. And that the word that we've believed is not just something that were stories for somebody else, but that they are our stories. It's us. So what God calls us to is to not simply read the word and know enough about the word and be able to quote the word. But he says that's what life really is, is when we live the word and and it's real and it's active, not simply because it's in a book and we say that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, because it's active and living in our lives. So that Jesus Christ becomes alive because we are alive. And so we look at a story like this and we want to say, Man, what's the storm in our life that we need to get over? And I think that that analogy is present. But even greater than that is the fact that the story that was told was the story of the disciples' lives that they always sung about. And when we live day to day, the songs that we sing, those are our stories. And the passage that we read, that's our story. When we read, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that's our passage. It's our story. It becomes real. And so Jesus here reveals through a lamp and through a measurement and through seed that he wants to be real to us. And he wants to be active with us. And he wants things to become real and in the flesh 
for us and through us in our lives. It's not always easy to do. And it's not always easy to live. That's all I got. That's it. It's a simple message. It says that we've got to live for him. That we're willing to cry out when the storm is active. But we've got to be willing to see him. And see ourselves in the book. And see our lives taking root. So the challenge is this week, let's make sure that we're being light. And let's make sure that we're measuring the word. And let's make sure that we're planting seeds. Because God is doing some huge things through you, through your life, and through the impact that he wants to have on every life around you. Where are you this morning? Do you feel like you're in the middle of a storm? Do you feel like you need to cry out? The thing I love about this church I was talking, I said I was done, let's keep going. A thing I love about this church is that I was talking to somebody two weeks ago and they had an incredible problem. And I said, why don't you go to your church and share that? And they said, oh, we can't do that, you know, because, you know, at church you don't share that kind of stuff. I said, well, why not? And they said, well, you know, if you respond at church, all you can say is, you know, I'm wrestling with something. I said, you need to come to Landmark because, like, we are overt in detail. I think they were kind of interested, really, with some of the stuff y'all confess. The deal is that this is what the family's for. The family's for us to be able to cry out so that we realize, first of all, we're all in the same boat. We're all struggling against very similar storms. We can all help each other row and love on each other. Or maybe this morning you just need to say, you know what, I've never, I've never really entered the kingdom. I've never... You know, put on Jesus Christ, and maybe this is your day to say, I want to see the light for the first time. And I want all of these stories to be my stories. So whatever need you have this morning, let's glorify the Lord by lifting it up to Him, being His children, relying on His strength, praying together, and being called to be who we're called to be. Let's stand and sing together.